you're listening to Fueled, a Finch to Maker podcast, and I'm your host, Rhett Aber. Hi, everyone. My name is Rhett Aber. I'm an engineer intern here at Finch to Maker, and today I'm going to interview Andy Sellers. Andy Sellers joined Finch to Maker's Lafayette Engineering Group in December of 2006 and subsequently gained professional engineering licensure over a decade ago in 2013. He specializes in civil projects for municipal and parish clients, currently serving as the engineer for the city of Karen Crow. Mr. Sellers manages client relations, engineering services, and infrastructure projects. His responsibilities span the design and enhancement of drainage systems, floodplain management, roadway design, utility design, site design, construction administration, and plan review for commercial and residential developments. In his capacity as a certified floodplain manager, Andy collaborates closely with the City of Karen Crow's planning department to oversee and administer floodplains within the city limits. He plays a pivotal role in the annual recertification of the city's participation in the National Flood Insurance Program's community rating system, actively contributing to secure funding for flood mitigation projects through various grant programs, serving as agency coordinator for these initiatives. Andy, it's an impressive resume. Uh, I'm proud to work with you here at Fence to Maker, and I'm grateful for you taking the time for this interview today. You ready to get started? Let's do this. Can you tell us what led you to pursue a career in civil engineering? Like a lot of high school students, um, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study in college. Um, I knew I wanted to do something in the STEM fields, something that I can kind of apply the mathematics that I learned in school. Um, it wasn't until career day, my senior year, that I got to shadow a civil engineer uh, for the day that I was able to see that that's more along the path that I wanted to go. I'd be able to have a little bit of mixture between office work and design and field experience to be able to see and experience construction um, that we often see on, on a lot of our municipal projects. So I decided to pursue uh, a degree in civil engineering and um, continued that path until my licensure and have been working at Finsta Maker ever since I graduated. Uh, in what ways have you seen the field of civil engineering evolve over the years? And conversely, in what ways have you seen it stay the same? Certainly, evolution of technology has changed the way that we do a lot of work. Um, not so much from the start of my career, but the way that you know the people who came before us did work, um, the, the data collection, the way that you know they used to do topographic grid surveys. Uh, and now they're using high-definition scanning or LIDAR collection from drones. Um, so the, the data that we're getting to do our analysis is a lot more precise, uh, but at the root of it, uh, the fundamentals of engineering from the formulas we use to the principles have you know, remained pretty constant over the years. So I'd say that that's been the bedrock of engineering design is not changing much, but the data collection and the precision of our calculations are, are getting a lot more refined. Yeah. Every now and then I work on a project and there's, there's some really old data sources um, like uh, I came across a microfiche file that this is apparently what they were doing with HEC2 before HECRAS. Um, and so like talking to the older engineers that were around using that data, it's pretty crazy to hear how they were doing it before we had all of the luxury technology that we have. Right, it's kind of all at our fingertips now, right? With the internet, you can just yeah. go and find and log in to different data sets and download them. They're readily available. And looking back at some topo maps, uh, topography maps from I don't know, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, and how they used to use that to delineate basins and get pretty close with their hydraulic calculations. It's, it's definitely impressive. Are there any specific technological advancements or industry trends you find particularly promising or game-changing? 
Advances, yeah, I can remember um, we were doing stormwater modeling in Calcasieu Parish back in the 20 aughts, having to drive around and take a picture of my finger pointing at a map to show where we are in space, and then go stand at, on a culvert and take a picture of my finger pointing up to show that this is an upstream picture and pointing down to show this is a downstream picture. And now with the advancement of smartphones and geolocation, I mean, we have programs now that can take a picture and process your location, any notes that you take during the, during the field visit, and geocode it to a point with an arrow of your bearing that you're taking the picture. Click on the point and the pictures pop up. So the extra effort we used to have to go through um, doing the data collection and, and field visits are pretty uh, streamlined now with, with the advancement of all these technologies. And I can remember when Google Street View first came out in 2008, I was a year after graduating an intern, and I can remember you know, clicking on the link, not really knowing where I was going with it, and then seeing that you can travel down a street and rotate in a three-dimensional panometric view of these streets really made me pretty impressed that technology has been able to get it to a point where you're inside of a car driving down the street. Uh, I find that it definitely helps with site visits. You know, you can look where you're going before you even get there, and then once you get back, you can look at your pictures but be able to put it in the real world surrounding, uh, being able to see, see the site from the street, which those, those are two um, advancements that I've seen that are pretty impressive. So I know collaboration and teamwork is important in civil engineering projects. What strategies have you found effective for fostering a collaborative work environment? Collaboration, but mostly communication, I find to be vital. Um, we've implemented teams here at Fencemaker about two or three years ago. And I've been leaning on that pretty heavily to make sure that everybody on my project team is aware of their roles and responsibilities um, and so that they can go and see what the discussions are around particular topics, whether it's surveying, a geotechnical report findings. Um, everybody can put their two cents into their understanding and their interpretation of those discussions so that we're all on the same page moving forward. Um, it, it definitely helps keep track of everyone's understanding and um, knowledge of the things that have happened. A lot of times I'll go back and just putting out there into the ether of just, you know, this happened on this date and I got this response from this client so that everybody sees how the project's moving forward. Um, a lot of times what we used to do is send out emails, you know, inboxes would get full with, you know, the reply all, where two people are talking and they have a conversation back and forth and then six or seven other people are continually getting dings every time there's a response that they may not have anything to do with that conversation, where Teams allows them to mute those notifications if they're not at mentioned, but have the ability to go back and review the conversation should they need to be made aware of, of what was decided or what steps were taken through that discussion. Do you ever end up in scenarios where you're in a group chat or something in Teams and people are not all collaborating together? Like maybe there's one or two louder people in the room, and so how do you how do you generate conversation in those instances? Well, if I'm looking for feedback from a specific person, I'll certainly at mention them so that they'll get notified that the question is directly um, oriented to them. Um, otherwise, if they don't feel that they have anything to contribute at that time to the conversation, by all means, I don't think it's necessary for everyone to reply just for the sake of replying. So Andy, municipal engineers often deal with the maintenance of existing infrastructure. Can you share challenges and strategies you've encountered in maintaining and upgrading municipal infrastructure over the years? Yeah, so infrastructure you know, is always gonna degrade with time, right? So 
a lot of times municipalities are having to face the changing regulations that state and federal agencies put on their infrastructure, you know, as they should, right? Because they're always looking for the betterment of you know, that infrastructure, whether it's water, wastewater. Um, in 1988, uh, EPA made a regulation where you can't have lead service lines anymore. So they're having to do uh, an inventory of any lead that they do have in their lines and over time, you know, have them replaced. Uh, there are funds available from the federal government that's going to help fray the cost for the municipalities. It's just going through and identifying, you know, of the thousands of water services that they have, which ones do have lead in, in the service line. Um, they're having to go through and eliminate all the services that were installed after 1988, and that's going to help whittle down a bit. But they're going to have to go and dig and find out, you know, what the actual materials are in the service line on the owner side and on the customer side to be able to find out which ones are led and then over time come back and replace all of those, um, those service lines to remove any, um, any lead in them. What about like the maintenance of, of existing roads and, um, you know, stormwater drainage? Are there any particular challenges about related to that? Um, costs, you know, maintaining infrastructure costs money, uh, and everybody wants to grow their infrastructure and expand and promote development. But if you're not maintaining what you currently have, it's going to deteriorate over time, and you're going to end up spending more money coming back and rebuilding it rather than just spending the the yearly maintenance costs to um, put a tack coat over a roadway so it stops crumbling quite as fast. Um, and you know, as far as drainage. It, the big part about drainage is keeping your roadside ditches clean, keeping the uh, branches and build up in front of bridges cleared and, you know, so that water can flow. Um, it, it's something that public works departments around the country are having to spend time and energy maintaining and continuing to put those resources towards the maintenance and rather than just the expansion. With the concept of smart cities gaining momentum, how do you see municipal engineering adapting to incorporate technologies for improving city services and infrastructure? You know, smart cities are a new word that came around in the last you know, decade or so as technology continues to evolve. And I guess it depends on the municipality's resources, right? So these larger metropolitan areas have the resources to spend to get the IT companies involved and to be able to bring all of the different components from uh, smart electronic water meters to SCADA systems to monitor and manage uh, wastewater lift stations and treatment plants um, all to the forefront so that they can see the analytics of how long pumps are running and how often the water meters are continuing to run because there's a leak uh, that within that service line that you wouldn't have seen otherwise and then customers get hundreds of dollars of bills. Um, that we're able, they're able to, to identify early on and, um, and um, remediate, I guess, to, to be able to fix the problems. So I think smart cities, the smaller municipalities are taking smaller steps, I guess. You know, there, um, there's proprietary softwares out there that can kind of help um, bring asset inventory all to the forefront so you can see, you know, what sort of assets do you have around the city as far as infrastructure goes or, you know, digitizing work orders where instead of somebody calling in to the front desk at City Hall and then them having to call someone in the field to go and fix a problem and then the, a lot of the issues get lost in translation and they're trying to have to write down the work orders on paper. So it's, it's hard to track. 
where these softwares now, somebody in the field, a, a resident in the field, and I say the field, at their house, right, can go out in the front yard and see that there's potholes on the street in front of their house, take a picture, you know, log what the problem is. Um, you know, a lot of saying earlier that smartphones can geotag these locations, so that gets uploaded to the city's um, software, and it automatically, depending on the type of, of issue, gets assigned to the people who are going to be responsible for, for solving that problem. Um, and it sees the, the, um, quite a bit of efficiency improvements that you know, work orders aren't getting filed in drawers anymore. And the municipalities are able to track you know, the things that they've done over time and really see you know, if there's potholes is the only complaint that you get around the city. Well, maybe you should consider going back in and re, um, redoing some of your roads. Yeah, it seems like it, those uh, proprietary softwares would give you the tools that you need to sort of plan ahead, right? Now you know what's going on in your city, not just based on feel or having to sift through a bunch of papers to figure it all out. On the topic of, of existing infrastructure, do you think we're, we're more uh, cognizant of the how this infrastructure ages over time to where we won't run into the same maintenance issues down the road? Like, are we increasing design years and, and sort of planning ahead in that way? I think that's the goal, how the, the powers that be you know, decide to spend the money. Is it, do you want to spend money on, on redoing something that's already existing, or do you want to spend money growing future infrastructure? Um, I know through the course of my career, standards have stayed pretty much the same um, you know, as far as the design life of, of certain structures. Now, materials have changed, you know, where they're now making, you know, stronger plastic pipe where, you know, 20 years ago, maybe it would crumble um, at half the life that it does now. I mean, I'm kind of being a little bit vague with, with the, the lifespans, but I think you get the point that the materials now are, are definitely becoming more stronger because it's a competitive market, right? There's more smaller companies who are making um, materials that used to be made by maybe one larger company that had the total share of the market. So I think competition um, is, is driving the innovation of the materials that we use for design. So my next question was, uh, getting into the specifics of your current work with the city of Karen Crow a bit, Karen Crow has a rich cultural and historical heritage how do you balance modern infrastructure needs with the preservation of cultural and historical aspects of your projects? Ask me again in 11 months and I'll give you an exact answer. No, I'm kidding. Um, so last month we did help Karen Crow start developing their comprehensive master plan. So it's a 12 month process where we're gonna be interviewing a lot of stakeholders around the city, the administration, fire, police, public works, um, leaders from around the community through education, culture, recreation, um, to, to fill, out what their vision is for the future of Karen Crow. And once we get that plan in place, and we're gonna develop our future infrastructure or uh, recreational or um, drainage projects to help um, facilitate the plan that the community puts together. I mean, it's gonna be their plan that we're just helping them um, realize. And with that plan, we're gonna develop you know, achievable projects that can get them closer to um, achieving their vision. So Andy, what are some of the best advice you've been given in your career? And what advice would you give to young civil engineers who are just starting out? Something that was told to me early on um, is always check your work, right? It, it's obvious, but it's to the point of, before I, when I was drafting letters for the engineers that I was working on as an intern, I'd have to print out the letter, 
redline it, make the corrections, and then bring the final draft and the redline draft to my supervisor so that they could see that I went through in um, very meticulous detail to, to consider, you know, what am I trying to say? Am I saying what I think I'm trying to say? And um, I, I think that that level of uh, attention to uh, higher standards is something that I've taken with me along my career um, to printing out plan sheets and making sure that I look at every word that's on the plan, every line, make sure that it's accounted for, understanding what I'm actually showing on the plan sheet, and is it conveying what I'm trying to tell the contractor or the developer to, to do with, with what I'm trying to, to deliver to the client. Um, so uh, if there's something that I can pass forward to the next generation of engineers or younger engineers that are, that are coming up is something similar, you know, make that a habit. Make it part of your way of life. Adhere to higher standards and you know, don't let that uh, wane just because you have a deadline that's due. You know, spend the time to do it right the first time. Yeah, it is definitely easy to, to let some of that quality go out the window when you're, when you're doing a rush job. Yeah. So slowing down to make sure that quality isn't sacrificed right. it's, it's to get high, it out on time. Yeah, high standards are something we should live by. That's great advice. I know I still I very frequently have to stop myself make sure I review everything before I give it to somebody else. And then the people um, that are working with me more often, having them double check, triple check before they bring it to me. Um, is, and it's very helpful for the, the other engineers that you're working with, because you know, that way they're not spending time on the things that you've already said were done, but just were, were uh, missed by mistake. So that attention to detail that you're talking about, how does that play into the integrity of the project and the trust that we build with our clients? You know, our, our clients see the end result most of the time that we, we present to them. Um, and it only takes a few misspelled words in a letter to really get in the back of their mind, like, are they even looking at this? So that's why I think it's vital to make sure that we're giving them the polished and refined version of, of any deliverable, because that's what they're expecting, you know, high standards. Um, especially when we hold ourselves to those standards, they can see in our actions, in our work, in our deliverables, um, the effort and thought that we put into everything we do for our clients. Can you share a project or a memorable rewarding moment from your career that taught you a valuable lesson or had a significant impact on your professional growth? The biggest impact on my professional growth was getting licensed. You know, I, you go through college and four years interning, um, all with the goal of becoming a professional engineer. Um, and with that licensure in 2013, I was able to start working on my own projects that I'm um, able to see you know, through completion that I'm signing off for. I'm able to you know, work with the people around me at Fence the Maker to help push these projects forward and, and get them completed. Um, but, but to take the ownership myself, um, having that license allowed me to do that and be able to um, build the team of people who work with me in Karen Crow and on the projects that I work on. Yeah, so I'm, um, I am, I'm six months away from, from being licensed. Do you have any advice for somebody that's, that's very near to, to gaining their professional licensure? Have you taken a PE yet? Yeah. And you passed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's incredible. You know, I, whenever I was you know, taking my PE, we had to wait the four years before we were able to take the right. test. And yeah. now you know, younger engineers are able to take it as soon as you graduate, which- I took it two months out of graduation. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, I wish I would have had that opportunity, but I mean, I, I took it once I passed it you know, four years after graduating, but it's 
having those fundamentals fresh in your mind, it, it's definitely um, an advantage to be able to take it as close to your, your schooling as you can. Um, but yeah, so just stay with it, right? I mean, you, you're on your path, the, the goal line is in sight. Um, but once you get it, I mean, obviously you're gonna have to keep studying, keep learning and continue to grow as we're talking about the technology continuing to innovate and smart cities and all of the new tools that we have and toys that we get to play with um, for data collection. And so yeah, now that you're gonna be licensed in the coming months, um, you never wanna lose the curiosity that you got to um, be able to get you where you are now, right? You had to be, um, have curiosity, but desire to, you know, continue and move forward and learn. And it's definitely important um, as you go through your career to always be you know, wanting to know the, what's next, what's coming that's new and not get complacent in you know, the same old work, same time, same place kind of thing um, where you, you wanna expand and you wanna ex uh, explore different horizons that you can take your career. Awesome, that's great advice. So before we go, I have to ask our closing question, one posed to all of our interviewed guests. In the spirit of Fueled, our podcast name, what fuels you? Um, I think seeing the project from cradle to completion, right? So being able to see conceptual thoughts of a municipality or um, a client wanting to have a problem solved, meeting with them, finding funding, figuring out a way that's going to actually solve their problem, designing it, seeing it constructed, and then ultimately seeing the public able to use um, our creation. Um, so. I find that pretty satisfying um, as a career, you know, to be able to see the infrastructure that's needed around the country get developed and implemented. So I think that's fuels me day to day to continue to work, work hard for our clients and give them what they're looking for. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's something that brought a lot of uh, people into civil engineering is that same, the desire to see a project all the way through and see people on a daily basis, use the project that you had a, a part in. So for it to still be fueling you, you know, all these years later, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, infrastructure's all around us. We drive on it, we flush our toilets, we use water, we shower, all of that comes from somewhere. And to be able to be a part of the development and maintenance of, of those systems is, is, is rewarding. Andy, thanks for taking the time out your day to be with us. Very much appreciate it. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.